0: Hey, I'm Joey Pants. And I'm Danny Pants, his daughter and co-host of the podcast, No Kidding. No Kidding,
1: me Me too. too.
0: Who are we talking to today, Daddy?
1: We are talking to Livy Tram, who is an actress that I work with on MacGyver. She's wonderful. She's beautiful. She's unemployed because they just canceled MacGyver. And uh, like, all you know, you know, talk about that's real cancel culture. I mean, that's what we in show business deal with on a daily business. We're always, always going to be canceled. You just got (laughs) to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and get to the next job and the next job. So um, she's wonderful. And I was very impressed working with her. And I can't wait uh, for us to see how she's doing.
0: All right, let's go talk to her then.
1: So thanks for doing this.
0: Thanks for having me. All
1: right. So here's my first question. How old were you when you got your first tattoo?
2: Oh, (laughs) the day, the moment I turned 18 that day, April 8th, whatever year it was, I'm not going to do the math. um, I decided to go get my first tattoo, but I had already decided to get my first tattoo when I was 13, but I just kind of waited to... For it it to be legal, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very like I follow by.
1: It be legal. I mean, I could go with 16
2: if I had a parent.
1: I see. I see. This is the state. This is the state of California.
2: Yeah, and and, and, and you can get it by yourself.
1: And how did your 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 mom and dad feel about that?
2: (laughs) My (laughs) my mom didn't know until maybe like six months later. But then like she would come into my bedroom, you know, like good morning, good night. And this one time my bed sheets were like kind of off of my thing. Okay. So like FYI, my first tattoo was a tramp stamp. Okay. So love (laughs) it. Mine was like just a little bit.
1: Can you be more specific? (laughs) What is a tramp stamp?
2: It's just where,
0: you know, on the low back,
2: back, lower back, right above the butt crack.
0: This is what a tramp stamp is. It is a tattoo that is placed on your low back right above your butt crack. That is a beautiful place for a tattoo, but that I'm sure men decided to sexualize and make it, you know, that when women have it there, it's slutty and trampy, but really it's not, it's just a great place for a tattoo.
1: That's a beautiful poem you just wrote.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. You know, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful placement.
2: Anyways, it was there and my mom saw it and she was like, what is this? I was like, oh my gosh, no, it's, it's fake. It's a, it's a, Sharpie, My friend just drew it on me.
1: She's like, <gasps> what a liar. I know. And she knew you were lying. Right. So now not only did she discover that you had a tattoo, she discovered what a liar you are.
0: Wait, I want I want to know. So tattoos for you, like, cause you have a lot. So how many do you have? And then also what do they like? Do you have them just cause you love them and you think they're beautiful or do some of them have like special meaning, I think it it ties into like I think tattoos can be very like healing mentally for people sometimes, so I'm wondering how you associate with your tattoos. Um, so going back, so when
2: I told you that at the age of 13 I wanted to um, get tattooed, and I waited, and the only reason I wanted a tattoo at the age of 13 was because um, when I was 13 I was staring out of my bedroom window of my old you know house. And there was this woman who was walking down the street and she was fully tattooed and I saw her and there was just this like grace about her that appealed to me and I couldn't get her out of my mind. And at that moment, I was like, I want to be like that lady, like Mm -hmm. I want to be her. And so I attributed it to her tattoos. But like growing up now, I don't think it was the tattoos at all. I just think it was the way she was carrying herself and the way she was walking, how her head was up and just confidence. But anyways, that was the reason why I wanted to get a tattoo or many tattoos. Mm -hmm. So at the age of 18, I started collecting
1: them. Well, you do. You know how how low it goes below the butt? What do you call it? The the, The
0: tramp stamp, the low back tattoo
1: as it goes. (laughs) Does it go it's into the It's above you, like-
0: it. You know those like no, little- I know.
1: No, that's not my question. My question is below that, does it like go to the knees? It's on the I mean what because I can see it's on your arms and neck and Oh, do
0: you have any like leg tattoos? Yes. I
1: have a Did you work your way up and then started working your way down? No, I started oh.
2: with a tramp stamp and then I got a couple small ones and then I started with my arms and then I got one on my chest and then my legs. I do have one that's unfinished on my left calf for like eight years ago. But my tattoo artist is all the way in
0: Hayward, Wisconsin, California. Oh, I was like, wait a minute! My cousins are from Wisconsin. <laughs> different, okay, different Hayward.
2: <laughs> but, you know, my so, family's in California, and I'd rather go spend time with them when I do go back to Cali instead of spending six hours in a
0: chair feeling pain. <laughs> that's fair. So, Dan-
1: Daniella, when, and how old were you when you got your first tattoo?
0: 18 and mine, mine is what is it? North, North, West, East, South, no, North, South, East, West. So mine's West of the, she got it. So she could tell her,
1: she could tell her away, you know, which way she was going.
0: Yeah, this way. Um, and it's, you know, it's super, uh, original. It's my astrological sign. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I have, I think five. Mm -hmm. So I have that. I have an acorn on my shoulder, which is uh, for Peter Pan, my favorite story, because I have a, you know, never grow up. Yeah. I have the lotus flower because lotus flowers bloom in swamps. So that's like a very healing mental health strengthening reminder. I have like a girl, um, you know, just taking back the phrase and being a strong woman. I got this. I like that like landscape on a road trip it's a mountain in the ocean in the sun and then i have a dolphin on my ankle because my parents on their wedding band have a dolphin
1: oh yes i think the dolphin. Zoe, how do you feel about that uh the dolphin is here here's my let's see can you see it see this dolphin see it can you see the waves and the gold uh there are two rings there so i'm the top
0: one the top
1: one yeah, I can make it out. Yeah, so I I actually I was told that that meant that you know represents freedom, and this was a ring. I, I I ran accident ironically, not accidentally. Ironically, I got this ring when I was in Astoria, Oregon, working on The Goonies. We were shooting the movie The Goonies, and I got it before we were there for rehearsals, and I got it beforehand. I bought it from a local uh, jeweler. And I decided to wear it in the movie. And then, I, you know, it's my favorite ring. And then but when I asked Nancy to marry me and I wore it on my wedding finger and she said, well, look, that's your favorite ring. So why don't I just make one for me? And, and then we can. Oh. Uh, so, so for, it's, you, know, you know, and, and it, it means, means freedom, freedom,
2: free, free to, to be, be yourself. yourself. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. I got my first tattoo. I was doing a play with Patty Darvinville in 87, 86. And, and she had a tattoo on her ass. And I, I, I was going, I was going out with a woman uh, who I thought I was going to marry. And so we both got tattoos, uh, flowers. I had a rose on on my hip actually. I thought it was an orchid.
0: My I think you it's know, an, I thought oh, it was it an orchid because right. it, it, is. It, it symbolizes for your mother. You know, at my
1: age, I can't bend that far to see any longer but yeah it was an orchid because it was your uh, mom's favorite flower yeah and she got a rose and then we broke up and so i i went to a tattoo artist and i said i got to get rid of because our names were underneath it so mine said patty and her said joey and uh so i got orchids don't have leaves but i i added leaves to cover her name I and didn't then, know that part. That's funny. yeah. And then uh, years <laughs> later, we became friends again, and I, I and I I showed her, and then she showed me hers, and she, and she, she covered put, it up. Yeah, yeah, we both covered it up. Uh, but tell
0: tell about the second tattoo, and the order of oh. the names.
1: Yeah, that started a revolution here in my house.
0: It's all his kids' names. Wow. And, and I'm and, the and, first one. Yeah,
1: yeah, Danny got Danny got top billing.
2: Wow.
1: Uh, I mean, Danny. Danny is my favorite of, of the kids. <laughs> uh, it's cause I'm the um, nicest.
2: You say it all the time.
1: As my, yeah. Especially to my kids. Um, well, cause I think, I think it's all right because I think all parents, everybody has a favorite, but they're always, they always say they don't. So they're not being honest sure. and, and kids and kids know the artist thought that the synergy was better, was best cause Daniela. And then it's, uh, Marco and then Melody and then Isabella. And so he did it vis-a-vis synergy, you know, and just aesthetics really. Yeah. And, and then my oldest son was really pissed off and, and said, how come I got third billing? You know, how come she got top billing? You know, being a show business family, it's all about the billing. Of course. Got to be number one. So, you know, I always consider that that we're in the service business, you know, being in show business, you're providing a service and in the restaurant business and you, your family is in the service business. Your parents have been doing restaurant and, 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 and food service since you were a kid, right?
2: Well, uh, my, so no, my my parents own, um, they have their own business. It's a, it's a, a water company. And, you know, so where you go in and you refill your water jugs Um, and they've been in that for like 25 years and they still do it. The restaurant business is I consider them my second parents because in college I started working at that restaurant and through college, through my teaching credentials, through another career, through waiting tables in L.A. and then doing commercial work and coming back to San Jose and working like they allowed me to come back every time and work. And they always just took care of me and the other girls that worked there. So we call them our second parents.
1: OK, so I, I I recall a conversation with you. Maybe it wasn't with you, but they started like a, with a food truck and worked their way up that was to my a restaurant. Of-
2: so my parents had a food truck when they came from uh, Vietnam. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, learned English and then started a catering truck. Um, it's like one of those big company catering trucks where you know you go to construction sites.
1: Mm. Yeah. You know, duh, 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 at six o'clock in the morning. And what kind of food did they make?
2: Like burritos, hamburgers, sandwiches. Yeah. yeah.
1: Breakfast food, breakfast burritos, and like that, and lunch. Breakfast and then lunchtime. That's the nice thing about burritos is that it's breakfast, depending on what you put in it.
2: Let me tell you, my dad is a Vietnamese man, but his burritos are bomb. (laughs) They're good burritos.
1: How did you get into show business and what were you doing? I mean, did you get into show business right out of college or during college or?
2: No, I so growing up, I didn't think that like the world of arts was something attainable Mm. because Uh, coming from an immigrant family, it's like doctor, lawyer, professor, something that, you know, was considered admirable at that time, you know, like um, something to have a name for or whatever. And so I went to college to become a teacher. And then I went to, I got my teaching credentials. And then, you know, I taught kindergarten and then K through eight. um, And then that didn't really do it for me, which I thought would, because I wanted, you know, uh, and then I kind of quit, and then waited tables at that Japanese restaurant in my second parents' place, and then decided to go to Mortuary College, um, and then did that, and became an apprentice embalmer for a couple years.
1: Let's let's go back to that for a moment. You were an apprentice a bomb, embalmer, and how many years do you have to do that before you get your license to be the, you know, like to have your own business?
2: Uh, California, two years, but it depends state by state. Um, t- two years of schooling, two years apprenticeship.
1: In some areas, like my daughter is a hairdresser, she's you have to get like, you know, well, I don't know, seventy hours or a hundred hours, or is that is it go by the hour? Or
2: uh, so it's two years schooling, two years apprentice, and I believe it's you have to have a hundred embalmings under your belt before you can take the exam. I don't remember; it's it was a while ago. What
0: made you pick that? from going to a teacher to that
2: so when i was waiting tables at the japanese restaurant across the street was the san jose police department and so a bunch of you know police officers would come in and i became friends with most of them and then i ended up going on ride-alongs and then seeing like the crime scenes and then that got me interested and i never like pursued science so one of them was like hey maybe you can follow like Go to the coroner's office and that really intrigued my interest and so uh he's like why don't you go to take some science classes so i did that and slowly but surely i eventually just applied for a mortuary college in uh sacramento and then i did that and then so it was like sacramento and then apprenticing in san jose at oak hill uh, funeral home
1: that's extraordinary that's uh, awesome. you know i've got a long history with funeral parlors in Hoboken, we live across the street from the funeral parlor where my entire family, from from my grandparents through my parents through uncles and aunts, right across the street from our apartment. Um, and my dad worked there; he picked up bodies uh, when people died, and uh, and then he he was there hosting, uh, helping out during funeral during funerals but well, not a director he was just always somebody helping with with parking and and because
0: oh, uh-huh.
1: you know in those days these these were great parties that there, there was always a bar set up and there was food there, and, and the party afterward and, and at some point in the i guess in the 50s and 60s it wasn't people assigned family members assigned to be the uh the carriers, uh, uh, of Paul Paul bearers. Yeah. Uh, Um, so, so they would be the Paul bearer. So my dad would be the Paul bearer along with the the four or five other guys. And, uh, but when he would, because it was Hoboken, which is a small town, everybody knew each other back in the sixties and fifties and forties before that, um, especially in neighborhoods and, and Fiella's, which was traditionally, an Italian Catholic place. So the Irish went to the Irish place, uh, and uh, e- everybody used uh, their ethnic background, and that's where you wound up as Viella. So he would get a call to go pick up somebody, and and he would say to the to the de- deceased's wife, you know, I knew Marty was a great guy. He was generous. He was fun to be with. He was a 40 regular, right? What are you going to do with his clothes? (laughs) And and my dad would come, you know, he'd be wearing all these wild clothes that were always, I don't know, 10 years out of style uh, behind that, 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 that belonged to dead people. Did you do that? Did you get dead people's clothes? Well, that's a nice sweater. Yeah.
2: No, that that hasn't happened. No, (laughs) I I did have people requesting to put, their loved ones in particular attire. Mm-hmm. This is their favorite outfit. They need to go in it. I'm like, when was it their favorite outfit? Because this does not fit anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick something else. Work with me here.
1: <laughs> you know, my mother had a, had a fist fight with my with her niece, my her sister's daughter. My mom was unhappy that she was not included in the funeral arrangements for her only sister. And at the first night of viewing uh, or the afternoon before, you know, just for the immediate family, my mom started with the, my sister hated that color. And, and, uh, and so, you know, she said it louder and louder and louder until my, my cousin who was, completely, uh, you know, she was an adult and married and and, and already had a child. And she they, they got into They got into it. Did you witness any kind of family squabbles?
2: All the time. All the time. That's why they say, like, during the transfer, the pickups, you have to request that there is only two family members there at the time when you take the decedent. Otherwise, it's just chaos. And sure enough, every time there was more than two people, me and my partner, would always just be like, "Oh no, mm. something's gonna happen." Sure enough, every time it was like arguments, fights. One lady ran into uh, the glass sliding door, just like as we were putting the sheet over the face. Just
1: well, in my first book, "Who's Sorry Now," which is a which is a biography about the first eighteen years of my life, growing up uh Italian American family. I always talked about how I loved funerals more than weddings, more than any kind of social gather gathering, because people were, you know, just hypersensitive and totally real and 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 I and I loved the fights and the fainting and um you know in the, you know the side of the mouth and uh, and also the the collection process with the abusta, they would call it where you had to give money you know to help bury the dead in the back corner where people would give cash
2: yeah, I mean, my grandpa uh died three years ago and is we have a big family, so he actually his funeral was at Oak Hill where I used to work, so it was kind of surreal going there and also you know saying goodbye to my grandpa but like in the vietnamese community you have to like we're buddhists so there's this whole ritual where it's legit like eight hours of standing and kneeling standing and bowing standing and bowing when they hit the gong you stand up and you bow. i'm like how many times (laughs) am i gonna literally like all of the my aunts and uncles and my parents you know they're in their like late like 60s 70s they were doing it like, like nothing. Like they were fine with it. But all the kids, all the people that were like in their twenties and thirties, are like, my knee hurts. What is this? What?
1: Yeah, I, I, that, I, we experience that. It's, it's the Americanization. What happens is, is you, you get, you separate when, when, when you're an immigrant, when you're, when living in your country, and you have nothing but your religion. You know, that's the only chance of a better life is when you die. Same thing with Catholicism, the promise of a better life. And
0: um, Buddhism, that's, so are you a, a practicing uh Let Buddhist me finish, today? Daniela. Why? You I always interrupt me.
1: But, let, but let, let me finish my, my the idea that the, the more ingrained to your societal Americanization, you lose your religion and the, and yeah you know, and your knees start to hurt and it's like I don't I don't get why I got to be on my knees all this time. Now you can ask your question. God damn it. Sure. Well, so
0: I did you were you raised Buddhist? Do your parents still practice? Do you practice? Yeah, they
2: they we practice Buddhism. Um they they still practice it. Um I don't practice it that much, but I I do catch myself sometimes when I'm in a down state, that like I do pray to Buddha. Mm-hmm. So it's,
1: I mean, yeah. So, but and Buddhism is uh, the belief that you come back reincarnated as something else, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. But am I right in, that like the end goal is actually not to be reincarnated? Like once you reach full peace, or is that was that wrong when I learned that in my class? Maybe, maybe it was Levels. a different time there's different yeah yeah
2: practices with Buddhism
0: um okay so this is a mental health podcast so what like your family life growing up like you growing up did you have any struggles with like emotional health um even if it was just like I had a really bad sad day like how did your parents like deal with that kind of stuff and also like in relation to Buddhism because I I don't like if they handle like if buddhists see that whole mental and emotional health as something different than like other religions might and and um like tactics they would use for things yeah so growing
2: up um in the vietnamese family i mean i can say this a little bit towards like chinese families as well or you know japanese like asian families Mm -hmm. um you weren't really expected to talk about your feelings like oh, you feel sad, boo-hoo, like, we struggled, we worked, we came, you know, on a boat here for your survival, so, like, mm-hmm. don't be sad, you should feel lucky that you are alive, so go on and work. Like, it, we didn't really, like, talk about feelings.
1: How did those, that, that trauma that they experienced manifest itself in, in mo- modern-day life? I mean,
2: it, on like, from my my point of view, I'm talking to like my other Asian uh, friends, like they're, they, and this isn't to say like they're bad parents or whatever, but this is how that they were raised and they brought it over to us here in the States. But like a lot of the upbringing was brought up with like guilt. Mm. Like we love you. This is how we show you love by guilting you into like being a good uh, person of society like don't do bad things because this this and this like Mm -hmm. we came over here we suffered we don't want you to suffer so you should follow this pathway that we are building for you do not go explore and be independent you work as a community so go to college college Mm -hmm. is college is number one do not go to arts college Mm -hmm. is number one because we didn't have that opportunity college makes you money money gets you a home home gets you security like
1: that's that's what they're telling you is is uh is is the path to success yeah the american success story uh that's but, different but, obviously yeah but with, you know like i had a dad who did bad things and spent a lot of time in prison and and i and, and if he dozed off he he couldn't have a a moment's peace. He would have horrible nightmares. And, uh, uh, you know, he didn't drink. He wasn't a drinker. I mean, he would drink occasionally, at weddings and such. You know, uh, he had, he had traumatic experiences that he wouldn't talk about. And I'm, I'm wondering if you had any big drinkers in your family or, you know, a lot of people with workaholism that they just work, 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 work.
2: They are huge workaholics. So, Because my parents and my uncles and aunts, they all own their own businesses. They work every day through holidays, through my sister's wedding. At least they'll open it half day. There's no day off. So, I mean, I learned that from them. So, like, if I don't work, I feel guilty because my parents are working every
1: day. Did you ever feel... uh Guilty about being Asian or, you know, did you, it, with what's going on with the Asian American community and being discriminated against and blamed, uh, because of the politicalization of, uh, of the last four years? Is that like status quo? Is it worse now? Uh, was it, was, did it exist? Uh, how, how does, how does that work? How does that feel?
2: i don't feel guilty for being asian i have never felt guilty of being asian i felt fear of being asian i felt like if i were to walk out on the street and this is like a long time ago too it's not just like the past four years i remember like in college i was walking in these guys these college guys i was was like in high school or something and they would just yell across the streets like ching chong me love you long time i was like what literally just walking across the street like and it made me feel so small that I couldn't say anything or didn't want to say anything to start something else. Um, But I remember, yeah, there are several times like that, even way before the four years or like whatever is happening right now with the Asian community.
0: How does that stuff like impact your like your mental and emotional health? Like, how do you um, not let that stuff I mean obviously it gets to you but how do you not let it get to you to a point where you can't function and you can't you don't want to go outside because you don't want to risk that and also in relation to like how your parents worked and how you had this set path too. like touch on like how that how does that affect your work ethic you said because you work a lot and you feel guilty but like does that when you, So when you're not working, like, how are you able to just like re- relax or do you really just feel no, like I'm str- I'm constantly stressed when I'm not working like mm-hmm. this past
2: whatever, however many weeks that when the show got canceled, it's like, OK, I have to find a job to go back to waiting tables. I got to get an income. I got to do something because I can't just stay stagnant because mm-hmm. if my parents are working, I should be working. I should be working harder than they're working so that I can help them retire. Mm-hmm. But also like. When you know, like the majority of the Asian attacks were happening, I didn't want to leave my house. Also, it was a pandemic, but like, I didn't want to leave my house. I I would always carry like mace with me in a little Mm -hmm. pocket. I didn't go past like eight p.m. like anywhere, and it sucks because it's like I should be able to feel feel safe walking my dog around a neighborhood without looking over my back every single time you know but i mean i can't hide eventually like i started thinking like i can't hide forever and Mm. also f these people like yeah (laughs) seriously no like f you like i'm gonna go out and live my life and feel freedom because my parents struggled came over here and sacrificed So, so why should i be afraid to leave my house
0: did you ever feel like you couldn't struggle or couldn't like feel your emotions because your parents like so I know with me through my therapy I've discovered like I had to be the perfect daughter because my parents were going through things I couldn't go through anything do you feel that too I
2: didn't have to be the perfect daughter, but I had to be someone who didn't complain, someone who would just shut up and do the work like therapy. I'm not going to spend $80 on therapy like I should just shut up and go about my day and then eventually whatever I'm feeling will go away, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, or I won't think about it as much. But I mean, we all know that's not really (laughs) the
0: case. Yeah. Did anything like manifest from that? Like now that you're older, like do you do therapy or do you do other like tools like therapy is great I think it's for everyone some people don't like it but is there other healthy avenues you take like when you do feel things Uh, like when that stuff bottles up so
2: I started to recently uh, started talking to a therapist like at the beginning of this year I went through a breakup and that destroyed me and then like a couple months before that I had moved here to Atlanta. So I'm by myself. Pandemic got dumped. uh, Lost a job. Mm -hmm. And so it just like spiraled down And
1: that. Oh, stop complaining.
2: Uh, Yeah. Right. (laughs) And I was just like in a hole for like four months, like a heavy, deep hole, four months. Mm -hmm. And so finally I was like, I got to get out of here and start speaking to a therapist. And that helped, like initially, like to get some thoughts out, but it didn't really work for me. What worked mm-hmm. for me was like getting out and going for a run, and that was like my meditation time, mm-hmm. and like clearing my head and actually like making, forcing myself to feel better.
1: That makes a lot of sense. You said you were in a deep hole. Where did you feel that? Can you like describe where how that felt?
2: I haven't really told this the people but like I was like heavily drinking by myself like and then it eventually turned into like day drinking where I would wake up and the only reason that I would do that was because once you hit like a a certain amount of drinks you don't think about anything anymore like Mm. you you either you go to sleep you black out or like nothing really matters and I woke up and I wanted to feel that way constantly to not think about everything else.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you, you didn't want to feel the pain. And also
0: it seems like work might be a way that you, it sounds weird, like self-medicate and that big thing was taken away from you as it was taken away for so many people. So like you couldn't self-medicate with that anymore.
2: Exactly. Like you, like work gives people purpose. And without that, like, Mm -hmm. I mean.
1: But the other thing, uh, but the other thing is, the other thing is, is, is that. And and to to intellectually understand how it should be. And is one thing, but what you, you know, the idea, and we talk about this a lot on the show is that you're, you were appropriately in pain. Your pain was appropriate. What you're describing is, is a lot of what I was going through, but I didn't have, I didn't have any logical reason. You have a logical, you, you know, your heart was broken. You, you've lost your security. These are, these are, that's not clinical depression. That's, that's actual, uh, de- depression, entitlement. This is exactly the way you should be feeling and going through it. But culturally we're taught that you shouldn't feel that. And so you will do anything, you know, in my, with me, it was fucking my way to feeling better or, or drinking my way or drugging my way or whatever the fuck working my way, just staying busy and trying to get away from that terrible sadness that was living in, in the pit of my chest, like, like, just it just you know and running i ran i was i ran for years until i fell off a roof and i couldn't and all of this this, these feelings started manifesting itself because i couldn't run it away yeah you know so what they say in the 12-step program is you're as sick as your secrets and, and, and secrets are anything that you, you, you know, you're feeling and you don't want to share it and you don't want to talk about it. Um, and, uh, and until you do come face to face with it, you come to the understanding that, that that's, this is just part of life, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're, you you're, you're talking to somebody about it and, and, uh, you know, it, 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 what do they say? Time. You know, time heals wo- wounds, you know, uh, uh, but they don't go away. No, you know, it's like you, you get, you get, you, you get a you, scar. You get a scar. It's an emotional scar. And it's what we, you know, we, we call around here emotional hygiene because people, you know, societally, we're not taught to treat our disease. Uh, societally, we, they wait for us to break. Uh, Something breaks. They don't teach us in elementary school or or kindergarten how to uh, how to do yoga or breathing exercises or meditation.
0: Yeah, they don't even teach us how to just like feel your feelings. Like you know, when a kid is in a store and asks its mom for a toy and the mom says no, the kid cries and the mom says, "Shut, don't cry. That's not a reason to cry. You're a kid and you want something." Wait a minute. My my mom would say,
1: "Shut up. I give you a reason to cry."
0: Right. But like, but the kid at that age doesn't understand why they can't have something. So they can't get something. So they feel an emotion about it. Even if they don't cry, if they're just like upset. So instead of saying, don't feel that way, you say, I understand you're upset. You can feel upset, but with that, you can't have this thing at this time for whatever reason. Like we don't, yeah, we don't tell people like you're saying, like, you know, And in your culture and in a lot of cultures too, I think it's, you can't, we don't talk about our feelings. You have to be happy because at least you are here. You didn't go through this suffering whatever. It's like, I didn't, that's your, yeah. It's like, that's your story. My story is happening now and is different. So I need to be able to feel that and talk about it. But we're told no, because I went through this, you can't go through it. You can't feel it. It'll always mine will always be worse than yours. Well, wait, wait, one
1: second, Libby, I want to ask you: um, with with were those going into your head, or I mean, how did that manifest yourself? You started, you know, you started drinking to feel better. Uh huh. Did you have an intellectual understanding that uh, that I just want to? I feel terrible because I'm in a lot of pain, so I'll do this or You just, it just kind of happened. How did that work?
2: Oh, it was like, you know, every one day at a time, it wasn't like I just started heavily drinking. It was just like, Oh, you know, find something to do. I have no job. Like Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll read and then, Oh, it's six o'clock. Well, okay, let's have a drink. And then it sort of manifested as each day came along and Mm -hmm. And I didn't like, I didn't give a fuck. I didn't care. And I thought about like every morning I would wake up and feel so much regret and guilt and be like, Oh, I did it again while my parents are working today. I'll be better. And then it's like, it's this whole cycle.
0: The wonderful, I don't know if you can use that word. Wonderful. I think now we can start to say it thing about the pandemic is that we all went through it together So did you have any friends like did you feel comfortable like telling anybody that that's like what you were doing or did anyone like talk to you about it? And did that give you like a little comfort like, oh, even if you didn't say anything, like if you had a friend that was maybe talking about what they were going through or did that not happen at all? I was
2: happy as a bird in their eyes.
1: So you had a big secret. Everything was great. You know, how you doing? Every, Everything's and, fun. And, and I'm people, working
2: out. I'm good. I, I set up my gym at home. I've been eating great. Waiting, auditioning, waiting for the next job. I'm good.
1: When your little voice talked to you, what happened? How did that happen?
2: I mean, I'm still going through it. It's not like I'm out of the hole yet. Um, But each day is less and less of what it was at the beginning.
1: Because why? what are you doing? I mean, you're, you're still talking to a therapist and you stop drinking or what?
2: I stopped talking to a therapist. I'm still drinking. Not as much as I was. I think I uh, replaced um, all the things like the ex-boyfriend work. um, And I hired a personal trainer to get myself out of my house so that someone is expecting me to show up. Mm -hmm. And so I started working out. And then he reintroduced me to uh jujitsu so wow. now that is taking up i'm now becoming obsessed with working out with this personal trainer and doing jujitsu instead mm-hmm. of staying at home and doing that and in my mind i can't concentrate on jujitsu in the morning if i'm pounding a bottle yep. of wine at night
1: well yeah. beating beating up uh, you know beating the shit out of somebody is bound to make you feel better
0: yeah Exercise is uh, now. I might say it wrong, but this was a stat that I heard once. Exercise is the most effective way to deal with your mental and emotional health, but is is the least utilized way to deal with it. Well, well probably.
1: Yeah, and you're talking. It works to, your brain you're way you're better than to our else. audience. Livy already knows that, but the idea is is the you know when you exercise or accelerate the heart. Uh, that the dopamine and the serotonin levels, levels. Mo- move up, you know, yeah. move up and, uh, you know, clinical depression, which is what I, uh, um, visits me occasionally is, is a result of the dopamine levels, uh, dropping, you know, that's what bipolar dis- disease is, uh, you sometimes you get so much dopamine, it, it it it's overabundant, and so you have feelings of euphoria, and um, and very um, busy uh, uh-huh. shopping. Um, in fact, I I've talked to a lot of people who were bipolar and 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 cocaine addicts, and for some chemical reason, when they would do cocaine, it would actually level them, to make them feel chill and 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 relaxed and normal yeah the idea is, is to escape the pain you know to, to feel like you had peace of mind uh-huh. uh and and in my case the, these said seven deadly symptoms of my disease you know whether it was food or sex or whatever it was it was always to get rid of the feeling Uh, that was haunting me at the, at that moment. And what we like to discuss here is the idea that it's normal to have these feelings and to be able, um, if the listener is like saying, Oh, I, I can feel Libby. I, I, I relate. I, I'm going through that. Might now the idea of asking for help, um, and, um, and talking to a friend, we're so isolated. Now we don't talk to each other. We text each other. It's so, it's so easy to get on, to get on the uh, phone and say, yeah, cool. Great. Uh, Working out, having fun. Uh, No worries. Right. Nobody talks. I looked at my phone bill. I got like 0.2 in in phone charges. It's like it's not a phone anymore. It's a camera that I can talk on. It's uh,
2: I mean, it's it's hard to, you know, pick up the phone and dial a number like and 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 confess whatever is happening in your life to someone that you you know love and care about who's yeah. in your circle
1: which which is the number one symptom of depression that the depression if it had a brain and wanted you to do a certain thing and feel a certain way would be it wants to kill you through isolation
0: mm-hmm. that's but, what it wants yeah one of the it wants uh, you dead A great thing too now is like you don't even like if you feel nervous about talking to your friends like you don't even have to go to your friends like go to reddit there are so many reddit groups about like mental health i i like joined one and like people will like post like i i thought about killing myself i'm thinking about killing myself today i need someone to talk to me and there's like hundreds of comments and people people are just there for you like if you don't think your friends will be like, I mean, if they won't be, then you need to get a new friend, but like go to Reddit, go to find strangers because they'll like, they'll just be there for you. They'll be you know, talk to me. So it's, it's really wonderful that that exists. Sometimes it's easier to
2: talk to a stranger, right? That's
0: yeah. But is that like that like airplane theory, like you like confess all your secrets to the, like the stranger sitting next to you on an airplane, but you like, can't tell like the person you love. There's a bunch of apps too. Like
2: you can just go to the app store and there's so many yeah. mental health apps that like guide you through things that can find you counselors or find you groups to t- whatever you're
0: dealing with. Yeah. We live in an age where it's getting more acceptable to talk to people they're, like, and they're yeah, more, you know, they like easier. 12 step,
1: uh, you know, for people who have, you know, the, Alcoholics Anonymous program, a 12 step program. There's like 66 or maybe a hundred different programs now. Uh, whether it's, uh, it's like Reddit, e- but in eating, real life, <laughs> but, but the idea of because of COVID, um, the, the idea of anonymity uh, and, and asking for help and having a sponsor. What I love about the 12 step program is that you choose someone uh, that's becomes your coach, you know, and you say, Hey, uh, because the idea of the program, the steps, the 12 step program is, you know, having a desire not to drink today, just for today. And then finding somebody that you, if you're, if you feel like, if I'm feeling like I, I, I want to do something, um, I can call my coach, I can call my partner and, and say, Hey, look, this is, this is how I'm feeling. Uh, you know, I, I really want to, you know, if it's my eating disorder, I really want to have a a pizza, a whole pizza, uh, maybe three pizzas. Uh, and that's, and that's, and now with, with, uh, zoom, you can have complete anonymity because it could just be your voice, your voice. And I, and I, I love that.
0: Um, I want to jump back to why you became an actress because we didn't we got so like enthralled with the like dead people um (laughs) I want to know like so what made you from that pursue acting and how that makes you feel with like your mental and emotional health too like if it like pretending to be someone else like how is that just like a fun thing or does that like does, does that tap into any emotional thing as well um i am what
2: you call an accidental actor so while i was um working as the embalmer and waiting tables i was also like kind of like modeling here and there um my friend was a photographer so he needed that so like i decided to move to la to naively pursue this modeling thing Um, as I was working at the funeral home. And I told my boss, Bob Silva at the time, and he was just like, well, you need to pick one because you can't keep going back and forth. You're running out of like holidays. Mm -hmm. And so I said, "Okay, I'm twenty seven. I'm going to stay at the funeral home because pursuing something new at the age of twenty seven is scary and I don't think it's possible. And he looked at me and he's like, you're so stupid. You live with death, you work with death every day, go and live your life. And if it doesn't work out, then you can come back and you work for me. Like, don't just Amazing. cut off. Yeah. So two weeks later, I like had $200 in my pocket and then I drove to um, L.A. and crashed on a couch and then uh, found a waitressing job. And then maybe like a year or a year and a half after that, of just like waiting tables. Uh, a commercial agent found me and he's like do you do commercial work and i didn't know anything of this like world like nothing um i said no and he's like okay well why don't you um come to this audition and blah 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 and eventually i got a commercial agent so that like kind of got me into the uh routine of like hi my name is levy tran i'm Mm -hmm. five six and blah 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 uh and then my agent now saw me and he was like do you act and I go absolutely not he goes go take some acting classes and come back I took some acting classes for like six months eight months and I came back and he put me on tape he said yeah go back to more acting classes I said okay (laughs) go back to more acting classes and like two years later um I'm you know I'm with him and then I started auditioning and now I'm here and do you love it I love it I it there was like the sense of like why am i doing like i felt that i wasn't helping anyone like when i was a teacher mm. when i was an embalmer i was helping these kids i was helping the family members this uh, in the beginning it felt like a very selfish profession mm-hmm. now i don't believe that i mean i i, yeah. I feel it like, because when you know when i i couldn't disconnect it like when i watch something i'm like wow that was very powerful wow that made me feel really good wow that made me think of whatever situation. Yeah. Um, But I didn't think that that was what I was doing, you know.
1: Was MacGyver your first big job or how does that work?
2: Mm -hmm. MacGyver was my first series regular. And before that, I had like a guest star role in a couple of other shows.
1: And and when did you you start MacGyver in the first season or?
2: Three and a half. So midway through the third season.
1: Working on MacGyver had to be fun because it's like, you know, larger than life characters and larger, you know, larger than life situations. It's so much like comic book. Um, I mean, what do you call that? You know, super characters. That
2: yeah, it was a wild ride. Like I never, in a million years, imagined that I would be doing this. Let alone like playing this badass person who gets to beat up on bad guys. You know, that is so fun.
1: Did you? Uh, <laughs> when I when I was working with you, uh, I remember you asked. I was very impressed. You, uh, uh that you you mentioned to me in passing that you went to the executive producers and said, hey, you know, I want to see how this directing works and I want to be able to trail a director. Did you wind up doing that?
2: Yes, only for a a short second because either we got, I don't know what happened, but I think we just got canceled. (laughs) I can't remember what the reason was, but I did uh, get to shadow um i went on you know the scouting location scouting and sat in a couple meetings um but something happened where i wasn't able to anymore and then we got cancelled but But i just wanted to go just to see what it was like not that i could think that i could direct anytime soon i just i wanted to see what it was like on the other side i i like to see things as a whole and like coming into this i'm still green i I still don't know what I'm doing as an actor. You know, like mm. I was like, "Oh, you're a PA. What is that? Who, who who are you? What what do you do? Second director to the assistant?
0: I, I don't know." I think it's so important for everybody on a set to understand and appreciate everybody else's role on a set. Yes. Um, like I think it's so great when actors want to know like what happens behind the camera, and also when they like work behind the camera, because. I think some people, some actors just feel like what they're doing is the most important thing on the set when it's like, well, if the lighting guys didn't put the lights there and turn them on, you wouldn't even be seen. If the camera guy didn't hit record, if the PAs didn't make sure that nobody else was walking across the camera, cut, you know, coming in front of your scene. Um, So I think it's great uh, when people like, want to like know what that is especially like you're new like that's exactly what you should be doing and that's so awesome that you did like ask the executive producer like I feel like that's something I'd be so scared to do but like that's so your right to do it like it's your right to learn I was just like I have no idea who does what and what does what so
2: can I just like I just started standing like at video village and be like what's that what's this who does this what is this for why is this like I yeah
1: But that takes a lot of guts.
0: So MacGyver's ended now. Do you have anything like coming up or like what like roles would you really like? You played the badass. Do you like the badass? Do you want to keep playing a badass or you want to like try other things? Yeah, no, I love playing the
2: badass. I actually booked a small role in an upcoming movie. Also, uh, you know, playing a badass shooting, you know, that's what i enjoy because i love doing the action stuff like i'm a very physical person i like working out i like training so to be able to incorporate that with work is exciting for me and i like the physicality of it um but i mean i would love to try and venture and do other things like whatever characters they come up with like why not try it all i'm just happy that i i am able to kind of step out of the box of like <sighs> gangster girlfriend or mm-hmm. like stripper dancer yeah. or
1: victim stripper victim yeah victim uh, anything
2: because of my tattoos you know yeah yeah and that's why like i really am so grateful and appreciative of macgyver because my tattoos didn't matter towards this character of like why I was, you know, why I booked the the role. Yeah. So I w- I got to play like a normal person essentially, not just because I have tattoos.
0: Well, you are a normal person you just have tattoos. And also with makeup who the hell cares? If they wanted to cover them up they can. Exactly. When you become a big action star, badass action star, if that's something you want to do, would you like want to do your own stunts cuz you like the physical stuff?
2: Yes, I would like to do my own fighting stunts, but mm. I will leave the stunt stunts to the professionals. You don't want to jump off a building? I ain't no Tom Cruise, <laughs> like are you kidding me like the the amount of work that these stunt people have to do to make the character and actor look good and legit. Like crazy. it's not easy. Like they'll come home with like bruises all over their body being slammed against a car, a table jumping through a window. Like, mm-hmm. no,
1: I feel you girls. I feel you.
2: Thanks, bro. <laughs>
1: I'll stay in touch. Give me a call every once in a while. Like, let's actually talk to each other.
0: I would like that very much and yeah. thank you thank you for uh doing this and talking with us but thank you guys for um having no, me thank on. It was wonderful
1: thank you for very important th- taking the time
0: doing. well it's it's important that uh you were able to talk to us someone's gonna hear you know your words and be like wow no kidding me too <laughs> that's a great name we should name our podcast that <laughs> yeah so <laughs> um so yeah, thank you so much, and I, I our listeners are gonna love uh, hearing you, and then also like looking out for you, like watching your your show, and then looking out for your movie coming up, um, and, and that, uh, seeing you and do stunts in the
1: future. And let us know, um, uh, you know, let us know what you're up to. You know, um, I, I mean, the world. I mean, you know, when you get it, when you get your next job, and you know, good vibes, all that stuff works.
2: Thank yeah. you, thank you. I will. Thank All you right. so much. Of course, you guys too have a wonderful and blessed
0: day. Thank you too, lady. you. Speaking to her was so wonderful. She's so sweet. Um I love that she was an accidental actress. I love that story. That man that told her, what are you doing? Go pursue the unstable, go pursue the arts. It's so wonderful that she had someone in her life that said, go and do that because she did it. And she seems like she really found something that she loves to do. And I think with her talent and her loving to work hard and learn about this industry, I think we're going to see her a lot in the future.
1: Yeah, I think that's wonderful, too. And, uh, you know, it's it's these these little moments, these these accidental mentors that come through your life that don't even know Mm -hmm. you know don't even sometimes they they'll never know yeah so that's great
0: and i love you know she was able to talk to us about her story and i think a lot of listeners will listen and relate to her um so really thankful that she came on the podcast and talked to us today
1: yeah well i love you danny
0: i love you too daddy